0: Recent research tells us that about half of our 11 to 20-year-old girls regularly alter their photos to enhance their appearance online in order to find acceptance. Researchers also tell us that our girls are much more likely to experience anxiety and depression than their male peers. What are the cultural forces that are shaping and even misshaping girls in today's world? Why are more and more of our girls struggling to figure out who they are and how to live in the world? And what can parents and youth workers do to guide girls through the earthquake of adolescence and into an adulthood where they flourish? Stay tuned as we chat with physician, counselor, and author Dr. Leonard Sachs about his new book, Girls on the Edge, on this episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at CPYU and today before we get to a conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs who we're thrilled to have on with us as we talk about what's happening in the world of girls, I want to make sure everyone who's listening is aware of who is in the room with us today. Uh, We've got more than just our normal I don't know if we should say normal, but our regular co-host, Jason Soshinik, who's uh, with us, joining us from Spokane. But I want to go around to everyone who's in the room since we're talking about girls. We all have relationships with girls uh, in this room. We are parents. We are some of his grandparents. We have worked with teenagers over the years. Of course, our work here at CPYU, we're concerned about what's happening in the youth culture. And I want to go around and just ask everyone what they see as the greatest perceived threat to girls today, because we are talking about some of the threats and some of the things that are shaping girls. So I'll start. Dr. Amy Flavin, who is a counselor and who has been working with her husband, Mike, in youth ministry for decades. Huh, Amy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've been- we just
2: celebrated our 30th here.
0: 30th at the church that they're at now in New Jersey, in New Providence, mm-hmm. New Jersey. Uh, Amy is involved in counseling both in the ministry, but also more formally through her practice. And she's teaching uh, teaching as well, uh, still at NIAC, correct, Amy? Yes, okay.
2: undergrad
0: and grad. A uh, Grad and undergrad at NIAC. And then she's on associate staff with us. But I want to ask you, Amy, Maybe just take 30 seconds. What, from where you sit, uh, is the greatest perceived threat to girls today?
2: That is uh, that's a really good question. And it is unfortunately not attended to um, enough. We've got so many things pulling on us, but I, and now we've got COVID. Um, I think the greatest perceived or the greatest threat that I see is that young girls are feeling the, the pressure to be on all the time, that they don't get enough time to just kind of relax, to work on some of those identity issues formally or informally. Um, and And they're on all the time. Mm. And I think that is the result of a very constant amount of input that they get from, unfortunately, the, you know, the easy target, but social media. Hmm. And with COVID, I am finding they're spending even more time. Yeah.
0: Well, we're gonna to get to, thank you, Amy. We're gonna to get to talk to Dr. Sachs about that because that's certainly something that he's been addressing in his practice and also in his new book. Uh, Chris Chris Wagner, who's here and everybody's familiar with Chris Chris handles all the engineering of this youth culture matters podcast and your dad to a ten year old correct yep ten year old daughter yeah um and yeah it's a it is a rough world for them to
3: navigate and I think if I were to try to summarize the answer to your question, it'd be um the confusion or the mixed messages that they receive regarding everything from their abilities and what they can and cannot do to uh things regarding sexuality what they should or should not do and it's it seems like um they're they're hearing messages of one thing and then their role models are doing the exact opposite and and i think that leaves them scratching their heads not sure what to do
0: yeah good Thank you for that. Teodora Dillman is our intern here, and she is taking a semester off from her studies at Yale University, 20 years old, a junior, uh, a girl, right, and uh, a big sister. Um, And I've seen you with your little sister. How old is she? She's 10. She's 10. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So. You know, you're and you're playing field hockey at Yale on the women's field hockey team, so you're around females, your peers. How would you answer that question, Teodora? Um, Concerning to me most and what I see a lot uh, on campus is the continued reduction of females to just a body um, and the uh, the reducing of personhood to what now society is defining as female as just a person who menstruates. I saw an article recently... Um, for a dictionary definition of what it is to be female, and it was defined as simply those couple words. Um, So not only does hypersexualization reduce a female to a body, but it's that idea is reincarnated also in this definition of what femalehood is. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you for sharing that, and I love getting Mm. the perspective of someone younger. Uh, So now let's move to someone considerably older, Jason. So, you're working with our sexual integrity initiative and project 619 out there in spokane and i know you're right in the in the in the middle of everything that's happening uh in terms of talking about thinking about sexuality identity uh, many of the things that have been mentioned already but how would you answer that well i
3: think the quickest uh response i would give is the area that i work which is sexualization of of women and i think that um, the intern, Your intern actually brought that very point up. I, I actually think that there's a component of each of these things, which I'm excited for Dr. Sachs to get to, uh, because he take, tackles many of these things in the book. But I think that the sexualization of women is one of the, the things that I, I'm seeing so often have a profound impact on the way that they respond, not only to their own bodies, but then how they then respond to everyone else around them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Jason. And I would, I would simply add to this, you know, the first thing that came to mind as I scribbled this question out this morning, knowing that I was going to ask everyone this question, is one of the things that's most alarming for me is objectification. I have two daughters who are grown uh, women, both married, and one of them has two daughters of her own. Those would be my, you know, my granddaughters. And I am very concerned about that, you know, based on our interaction with media, social media, and the kinds of messages that kids are getting. So I know we'll be delving into this. And Leonard Sachs, I want to welcome you again to Youth Culture Matters. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thanks, you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I want, to, I want to talk about your new book. You're, you are an author, uh, you're a medical doctor, you have a PhD, board certified family physician, and a psychologist. You've written books, Why Gender Matters, a book on boys, Boys Adrift, and you were on a podcast episode with us. I think it was episode 97 where we talked about your book, The Collapse of Parenting. We got great feedback on that, so helpful. And this book, this uh, new book, Girls on the Edge, which is actually an update, a revised version of a book you wrote 10 years ago, is is phenomenal, and I wanna highly recommend it. We're gonna talk about the book here, but let me ask you, Leonard, you know, why the book and why an update?
4: Well, back in 2010, I wrote a book, uh, again, titled Girls on the Edge, uh, really based on my experience as a family physician in suburban Maryland, just outside uh, Washington, D.C., for 19 years and the changes that i had observed over those two decades uh, and the concerns i had that we were seeing so many more girls who are anxious or obsessed uh, they're outperforming their brothers on almost every domain uh, certainly academically uh, but they're much more likely than their brothers to be anxious or depressed obsessed And uh, so I wrote that back in 2010, and I devoted a chapter in that book to social media in which I expressed my concern that social media uh, could be a big problem for girls, um, and more so for girls than for boys. I wrote that book before Instagram launched. Instagram launched in October 2010, exactly 10 years ago. Um, And in a sense, that prophecy has come true with a a vengeance. The publisher asked me to write an updated edition which I thought of titling Girls Over the Brink Mm. um, because um, things have gotten immensely worse um, objectively uh, in terms of the proportion of girls who are anxious or depressed um, who are uh, falling into what I used to call the cyber bubble, this abyss of social media and texting, which was uh, really an unusual phenomenon 10 years ago, is now arguably more common than not to find teenage girls who are uh in this twenty four seven uh stew of social media and texting, uh which has many bad outcomes for girls. Uh so that's why it was time to do an update because things have changed profoundly in ten years time.
0: Well why don't you you mentioned a little bit about some of what's changed in terms of social media, any other major changes you've seen that we need to be aware of that would be helpful for us to know is certainly parents, grandparents, youth workers, working with yeah. girls, trying to now, lead girls.
4: Uh, several of your colleagues mentioned sexualization. I would point out that uh, American culture has really always sexualized women. There's nothing new about that. Um, but you go back 50 years ago and the sex objects were actually Women, adult women like Sophia Loren and Marilyn Monroe. What's troubling and alarming about what's going on right now is the sexualization of girlhood, where you now have nine-year-old and ten-year-old girls who are concerned about being muffin tops. I see nine-year-old girls who tell me they're on a diet. Um, would, you have nine-year-old girls expressing concerns that uh, twenty years ago would have been expressed by fourteen-year-old girls—that they don't look hot that um, they need to lose weight and that's really toxic the sexualization of girlhood but that's not really my concern i you know if you were to ask me what's my biggest concern i'd say it's a tie between the culture and social media which kind of feed off each other in a toxic loop uh the culture so uh nine weeks ago cardi b and megan Thee stallion launched a video uh titled wap i cannot describe what that Ackerman stands for on a family radio station because it's profane um, and the song is is filled with profanity the f-word the uh, n-word and it is devoted to vaginal lubrication Uh, that's what the song is about it's not about love or intimacy or relationship those words never occur uh, nor do any words like that occur it's entirely about The Mechanics of Vaginal Lubrication, specifically vaginal lubrication. It is a hymn to vaginal lubrication. Um, And this song broke every record uh, for popularity in this country. It had the most streams of any video in history, 93 million streams in one week's time. Uh, Hit number one, of course, on launch at the Billboard Top 100. It has been in the top three at the Billboard Top 100 uh, for the past nine weeks. Uh, And... If a, a girl in the United States is just you know, looking at what are the most popular videos right now on YouTube uh, or what are the, what's trending on Instagram, this is what she's going to find. Uh, and this is really harmful. This is really toxic. Trashy art degrades us. And kids are not born knowing what is good taste and what is trash. They learn from their environment. And girls are now immersed in a toxic environment that's telling them, hey, uh, this is what it means to be cool. There are four women who have more than 180 million followers on Instagram, and only four. Those four, four women are Kim Kardashian, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande, and Kylie Jenner, Jenner. all of whom Kylie Jenner incidentally appears uh, and has a, a role in this video I mentioned, WAP, WAP. All four of these women regularly pose – uh, semi-clothed and body suits or lingerie, uh, uh, pouting lips, are back arched, and many American teenage girls are like yuck. If that's what it means to be female, I want no part of it. There has been a forty-fold increase over ten years in the proportion of teenage girls who say I'm not, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. Uh, and there's a number of factors driving this transgender. Uh, moment. But one part of it, uh, I believe, is this immensely toxic culture and girls saying, that's not me. I don't want to play that game.
0: You know, what's been interesting and alarming to me, and we've tracked with that song, and, you know, as soon as it broke, and you're right, it broke all kinds of records. I mean, that is indicative of what we think is normal in this in this culture right now. But the the outcry uh has been extremely limited has only come from you know maybe some small corners of the culture which is which is indicative of of change in our culture as well and the I, pa- I the, think that's an
4: important point. Oh that, yeah. that the the uh that anchors the what used to be the uh the newspapers of record the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times both had articles claim, uh, praising uh, this uh, video uh, by women reviewers who say how this is empowering. Uh, the song begins with the repeated statement, there's some whores in this house. And the two women proudly take that term whore as describing themselves. And yet the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal are praising this, This, you know, so what does the word whore mean? If, if it means uh, that the most popular women proudly claim that title it's really disorienting what what is virtue uh, what does it mean to be a woman of character yeah the culture not only gives no answer it gives the wrong answer it gives answers that lead girls into a toxic
0: stew yeah. Let me ask Jason a question here uh, because, Jason, you're, through Project 619 and our sexual integrity initiative here, you're working a lot with teenagers, you know, face-to-face as you're guiding them into, you know, shifting their their misunderstanding of the good gift of sex and sexuality, gender, as Leonard mentions here. How are you seeing this play out? I'm just curious you know kind of you know leonard's obviously through his practice boots on the ground amy through counseling jason your work in the schools. say respond to that
3: well i mean i think that we're <laughs> it, it, i resonate with everything that leonard is saying because it's it's being played out day in and day out when we're in, when we're in the schools right now we're um doing a lot of uh, uh face-to-face through uh zoom and and other uh tools but um, one of the things I would say is that the, the, the dynamic of what uh, impact social media and other areas are having on uh, women specifically uh, is uh, there's, there is a hypersexualization. And, and even going back to what Leonard was talking about, um, the dynamic of. There, there's, a, there's a shift that's happening where, where uh, every so often I might hear a, a female speak about being lesbian or, or up until maybe even two years ago, I'd hear them talk about bisexuality, that they were bisexual. It was a very common thing among middle schoolers. Um, and I would turn this back over to Leonard because what I would like to know through the research that he's looking at is, um, is there now even a shift moving from lesbian, bisexual to then women now talking about being transgender? especially in the age uh, that we're in with regards to talking about um, pronouns, what is your preferred pronoun? Uh, I I, I just see this playing out in a whole nother way than maybe it has in the last five years. Is that something that you're seeing?
4: Well, sure. And, you know, 10 years ago, uh, lesbian was the big thing, uh, but not anymore. And what we're finding, again, one of the weird... effects of transgender activism has been a hardening of gender stereotypes. So, uh, you know, my daughter, her, her big dream, she's 14 years old. Her dream is to attend the United States Air Force Academy and to fly for the United States Air Force. Uh, And that's great. And I support that hundred percent. But today, if a teenage girl says that her dream is to fly combat aircraft, it is now common for people to say, oh, you know, that's great. Are, are you transitioning? Are you a boy? What are your preferred pronouns? Look, there's more than one way to be a girl. And what's really weird about this transgender moment is that if you don't fit the pink and blue stereotypes, if you don't want to wear a bodysuit like Kylie Jenner and arch your back and pout your lips, then maybe you're a boy. Have you thought about transitioning? Uh, the range of human experience is very large. There's many ways to be a woman. Um, but again, this, this, this toxic culture that we're in, of Instagram and TikTok is communicating this message to girls that if you uh, are not gonna play this game of uh, posing uh, semi-clad photos of yourself in, in lingerie on Instagram, you know, maybe maybe you should rethink your gender, maybe you're male. No one intended this. This is an unintended consequence of a culture that has gone off uh, the deep end.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I want to follow up on that because to go back to something you said earlier about girls, you know, seeing this now as an option, uh, a, a way to fit in. We were talking here in the office earlier this morning about subcultures you know youth subcultures and this has become in in some ways functioning like a youth subculture you know this this transgendered moment and you know what uh we read about abigail schreier's book irreversible damage you know rapid onset gender dysphoria it's it's not a decision you know respond to this i think you're you tell me if you're seeing this in your practice it's not a uh, decision that is being made after perhaps years of internal struggle with you know feelings and things like that, but rather it's become an option in the moment that someone presents without any of those prior feelings and struggles that I now choose and live into.
4: Well, sure, and this was the point that Lisa Letman, uh, Lisa Letman at Brown, made last year in her uh, really groundbreaking study of these teenage girls. So transgender is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. And we have many decades of study of people who have uh, followed these uh, individuals from childhood through adolescence into adulthood. Um, And uh, until about seven years ago, the great majority, about three to one, uh, of transgender individuals were individuals born male who insisted that they were actually female. Uh, very often these individuals, uh, at four years of age, they'll have photos of themselves as four-year-old boys dressing up in tutus and, and wanting to be ballerinas. Uh, so really a lifelong issue beginning in early childhood um, of these individuals born male who insist that they are female. That's, that was the great majority of the transgender experience uh, from really the beginning of research on this topic in the 1950s right through about 2013. And then really primarily in the last five years, things flipped com- completely. And right now, at this moment, uh, the most common transgender experience in the United States is the teenage girl who has been happy being a girl most of her life. And her parents will show you pictures of her dressing up as a you know, for Halloween when she was little, and, you know, wearing pink and playing with Barbies. And then suddenly, over a matter of weeks, at 14, 15, 16 years of age, suddenly asserting, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. Mm. And Lisa Limited at Brown, the first to document this experience in, in um hundreds of encounters uh, coined the phrase, rapid onset dysphoria to alert us that this is something really new and different. This is not something that has a long history. This is a new phenomenon uh, really without precedent in in the scholarly literature. And it's not just, it's suddenly become common. You know, I, I was in suburban Maryland for 19 years. I never encountered such an individual. Now I see them every week. Mm. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the boots on the ground experience. It has gone from being unknown to being common, but, but I want to stress that's okay. This is not a talk about transgender. This is talk about girls. Yeah. Uh, most girls, certainly more than 90% of girls are not having that experience, but it affects them when you go to school and the principal says, Oh, uh, uh, you all know, Emily, you're not to call. Emily, Emily anymore. Emily no longer exists. Emily is now Justin. And if you address this individual as Emily, you will be subject to discipline referral. Emily is now Justin. Uh, Justin's preferred pronouns are he and his. Uh, and uh, Justin will be using the boy's bathroom because Justin is a boy. Every kid at school is affected by that. Even if that individual has no gender dysphoria themselves, They are now being taught by the authorities, by the principal, by the teachers, that gender isn't real, that gender is just whatever you want it to be, that there is no underlying reality there. Adolescence is confusing enough. The task of the adolescent is to figure out who am I, who do I want to be? And whether you're a woman or a man is pretty fundamental. And the principal, the counselors, the teachers are now pulling the rug out from underneath every kid's feet by saying that foundation is open to question. We want you we want you to think are you really your assigned gender the gender that you were assigned at birth maybe that's not a good fit for you. Maybe you would be happier choosing a different gender or going non binary. Questions that kids never encountered 10 years ago Every kid at that school is now encountering, and it is making the confused time of adolescence much more confusing. The grown-ups are doing harm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah we, we need to take a break. We're talking to Dr. Leonard Sachs about his book, Girls on the Edge. By the way, I'll mention on the cover of the book, Caitlin Flanagan, in an article in The Atlantic, says it is the best book about the current state of girls and young women in America. So stick with us. We'll be right back and continue our conversation.
1: If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible.
3: Thanks for listening to Youth Culture Matters. We're here with Dr. Leonard Sachs talking about his new book or a book that's been updated from several years ago, Girls on the Edge. And I'm going to turn it over to Amy Flavin, who has a question specifically for you, uh, Dr. Sachs. So, Amy, I know that during the break that you were talking a little bit about um, uh, some question that you might have for Leonard.
2: Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Um I think, Dr. Sachs, one of the things that I am most concerned about, and maybe you can, as a physician, help us wade through this, um, is that it, it seems that, unfortunately, politics has also entered into this. And I'm, I've actually spoken with a couple of physicians in my area who... Um, are finding their hands kind of tied in terms of it's almost it's mandated even almost by law that they go along with the the thoughts of a child who says I don't want to be a girl anymore or I don't want to be a boy anymore and they are told that they have to go with that. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions in regard to that. I'm a, I'm a therapist and um, I have not directly encountered it, although I've encountered many young, young people who are, you know, having homosexual feelings or same-sex attractions.
4: Well, we need to distinguish same-sex attraction from gender identity, sexual orientation and gender Absolutely. identity. But getting to the, the core of your question, uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. I have not encountered that firsthand, but I've uh, heard from many professionals in California, in New Jersey, and Massachusetts who yep. have encountered it. In California, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, there is now a state law prohibiting, quote, conversion therapy. Uh, And conversion therapy is defined in those statutes, not only in terms of sexual orientation, but in terms of gender identity. So the term conversion therapy arose back in the 1990s when there were a number of clinics that claimed that they could change sexual orientation. uh, That if a gay man wanted to be straight, he could go to the clinic and they would presto turn him into a straight man. That's traditionally what the term conversion therapy means. Um, These state laws, however, apply the term conversion therapy to any failure to affirm a gender dysphoric individual's preferred gender identity. So if a five-year-old boy says, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, it is now a matter of law in Mm -hmm. California, New Jersey, and Massachusetts that the uh, professional the pediatrician the psychologist must affirm that and if they say okay uh, so for example a few years ago standard of care would have been to say well tell me more about that and the boy says well I want to do ballet and all the boys I know want to play with lightsabers and the only kids I see doing ballet are girls so I want to be a girl I am a girl Um, three years ago it would have been standard of care to say okay you want to do ballet that's great you're going to study ballet we're going to sign you up for ballet but you're going to study ballet as a boy not as a girl there's more than one way to be a boy not all boys have to like lightsabers um, that was standard of care three years ago and incidentally it is in line with 30 years of research showing that this boy who says he's a five years 15 years down the road will not say he is female he will be a boy who likes ballet uh, but he uh, will no longer say that he is female. Uh, he does not persist. Uh, usually won't persist for more than a year or two. That's what the research shows. We have a great deal of research on this point. But the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with official guidelines saying that that watchful waiting approach is conversion therapy, and they said, we know that conversion therapy does not work. And in support of that statement, they cited one uh, scholarly reference A 1994 study documenting the failure of conversion therapy to convert gay men into straight men. Well, a 1994 paper documenting the failure of a program to convert gay men into straight men is of no relevance to the question of whether a five-year-old boy who identifies as female should be put in a dress and have his birth certificate changed to Emily, which is what the American Academy of Pediatrics Guidelines recommend. The old birth certificate should be destroyed. Justin never existed. Now, Emily, this is not based in science. It's based in politics. And that comes back to Mm -hmm. the key point. And that's why I wrote an article called The Politicization of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Mm -hmm. uh, Because, unfortunately, that's what's happened. Um, The American Academy and many other leading organizations, which for most of their history were guided by science, are now ignoring the science and instead being guided by politics and ideology. And that's a problem. So I've heard from professionals in California and Massachusetts who tell me that they're now whispering to the parent. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't want to speak out loud. They don't want to be overheard by any staff. And they don't put this in the official chart. They'll whisper to the parents, hey, you know, just wait a a couple months, wait a year or two, your five-year-old son will... I'll grow this by all means. Sign them up for ballet, but they don't write that in the chart, because if they
2: do,
0: they could lose their license. Yep. Yeah. So, so
2: I happen to practice in New Jersey, so I totally resonate with that.
0: Yeah, Amy, yeah, I mean, that was a great question, and and Leonard, you know, you've you've mentioned where this has gone in response to that question. You've mentioned where it's gone in the world of of medicine. You know, my question is, do you perceive or have a sense that this is actually going to spread, this kind of, you know, these borders and boundaries that that we're not allowed to overstep? Do you think this will spread into the realm of parenting so parents won't even be able to, to respond to a child or even into the world of, you know, we have a lot of youth workers who work in churches who are listening where they will not be allowed to discuss this other than, Uh, it being legislated that they have to quote-unquote affirm
4: well it's already happening i mean in california there was already a case of a 16 year old where the parents lost uh, custody because the parent that the teenager said the parents don't endorse my decision to transition to the male role uh, and the parents lost custody Uh, so again it's scary and when i counsel i get emails from parents in california i say look they have to leave the state of california uh before they take your child from uh that's that doesn't happen often and again i i always want to keep people's attention focused not just on this unhappy and they are almost always unhappy uh teenage girls. Again, that's Lisa Littman's finding that more than 60% of these girls who decide that they are boys, suddenly as teenagers, they're also uh, clinically depressed or anxious on one or more psychiatric medications. Uh, It is very unusual. It's almost unheard of for a uh, happy, a girl with uh, lots of friends doing well suddenly to announce at 15 years of age that she is a boy uh the great majority of of girls who are experiencing red with onset gender dysphoria have underlying psychiatric issues Uh, and they hope that transitioning to the male role will fix those issues which we now know isn't the case uh and again there's been so much smoke on this issue uh so much confusion. Uh, a Very useful article, public uh, published recently at public at the public uh, uh, publicdiscourse.com, yes. uh, pulling apart the findings on this. That in fact, the largest studies are showing no benefit of transitioning. On the contrary, it's not unusual. These these kids mm-hmm. wake up after uh, their gender reassignment surgery or their uh, and or their new hormones, and they're still who they were, and they're still unhappy, and they're still miserable. Or uh, it, it doesn't fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the underlying issues mm-hmm. are being uh, ignored.
0: Yeah, but, you know, this is a good word because increasingly in our circles, and we're functioning in many ways in the church, we're seeing these ideas being embraced not only by parents but by people who are guiding and leading children and teenagers and I think it's important for us to step back and consider this we get so wrapped up in this you know quote-unquote progressive agenda that it's uh, to me it's horrifying and you know we're we're miss, definitely misleading kids and undermining their human flourishing and really working to undo who they have been made to be, you know, as they experience that. So it's, it's it's a tough moment for parents because suppose
4: you're a parent who doesn't have an advanced degree, and now your 15-year-old daughter is saying she's a boy, and the pediatrician is saying, well, the American Academy uh, endorses this. And, uh, yes, it's your job now to help her transition to that role. And they read the New York Times and, and hear nothing about how – uh, all they hear on the New York times or NPR is how parents need to help their kids transition. how, uh, how is a 15, uh, how is a parent who doesn't have a PhD or a doctorate of, of any kind supposed to say, yes, I know better than my pediatrician. I know better than the New York times. I know better than the American Academy of pediatrics. On the contrary, these parents are like, well, if all the experts say, I guess it must be, be so even though it doesn't feel right to me and i get emails from these people across the united states uh saying i just found you online and you're the only voice i've found that is saying no to the new york times and npr and the american <laughs> academy uh, and i reassure them actually i'm not the there are other voices of sanity but unfortunately you won't get them in the mainstream yeah
0: so in, in the book, Leonard, you, you break the book down into four factors, uh, the first part of the book, four factors putting girls at risk. You've talked about the first one here, uh, sexual identity and sexualization. Uh, the second one is social media. Can you comment a bit on that, perhaps beyond what you've already said to us about social media? We just, we've been watching here the uh, fi- Netflix film The Social Dilemma, which raises some alarms for us, but you've written very well on this and how it relates to girls.
4: So, one of the most striking findings in research is that the more time teens spend on social media like Instagram, the more likely they are to become depressed. But that's a small effect and a huge effect outcome. Uh, well, I think we now have some good answers, which again, I, I spend a good chunk of the book trying to uh, communicate. Girls and boys use social media differently. And that seems to be driving the difference. So a boy and a girl both go to a football game. They both take pictures of the game. The boy is taking a picture of the game or the pretty cheerleader at the game. The girl is turning the phone on herself and she's taking 100 selfies at the game. And then that evening she's going through those 100 selfies and she's finding two or three where she's laughing and the kids are around her laughing. That's what she's posting on her Instagram. Now if you don't like Jake's photo of the pretty cheerleader, he doesn't care. But if you don't like Sonia's photo of Sonia, she's gonna take that more personally. Uh, and so a boy and a girl both get sick. They both throw up. The boy posts a photo of his own vomit on his Instagram. <laughs> girls never do that. Girls never do that. Right. Uh, so imagine a girl sitting in her room looking at all the other girls' Instagram. You know, there's Emily at the party. She had a great time. There's Vanessa at the football game. She's having a blast. I'm just sitting here and not doing anything. My life sucks. Uh, a boy looking at the other boys' uh, Instagram, well, there's Jake's vomit, there's Brett's dead dog. Because boys post a wider range of their lived experience, they're less likely to be feel like all the other boys are having more fun than they are. And that brings us to another study um, from uh, Carol Dweck and her colleagues at Stanford showing that girls are very ready to believe that other girls are having more fun than they are, that other girls' lives are more interesting than their own life is. Is this turns out to be not at all true for boys, Turns out that boys greatly overestimate how interesting their own life is to other people. So we have multiple mechanisms that help us to understand why social media appears to be more toxic for girls than it is for boys. Boys, it turns out, are much more to the addictive properties of video games than girls are. But that's a different—that's a topic for a different conversation.
0: I, I was just going to chime in there as you talk about that study with girls and you know how how they think of that, it's not just teenage girls. This extends into moms as well. We're hearing this consistently.
4: Well, but teenagers are more vulnerable. Right. Uh, right. The the younger you are when you use social media, the more vulnerable you are. You know, at age 30, you have, I hope, some kind of self-concept. You have, I hope, uh, some kind of job or role in the adult world. None of that is true for a 14-year-old. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you're going to be. And so you're much more vulnerable to those nasty anonymous comments. Uh, and, and this is another, okay, so big phenomenon going on right now in the United States is growing a gender gap in anxiety and depression. Girls have always been a little more likely than boys to be anxious or depressed. That gap has exploded in recent years. Why is that? A short answer, boys are spending their free time playing video games girls are spending their free time on social media how does that explain the difference it's very simple if you spend three hours a day playing Fortnite or Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty you will eventually be master of the universe the way these games are built if you put in the hours you will succeed and I've heard this from boy after boy after boy after boy and it's my own experience as well playing these games Uh, the first time you play Fortnite you get killed in the first five seconds But if you put in the time after 30 hours or so, you are victor. You are number one in Fortnite Battle Royale. You will win. That's not true in social media. In social media, you could put in all kinds of time, effort, and money into making the perfect video. It's hysterically funny, 45 seconds long, perfect length, posted on TikTok. Two weeks later, you've got... 23 views and some nasty comments from people you don't recognize you put in all that time and effort nothing nothing that's the difference the video game experience you will eventually win you will be master in social media there's nothing guaranteed and you have all these stories of these kids who they put out a TikTok video and they got 20 million views and now they're a celebrity and their video is not nearly as good as yours. The world is unfair and, and why them and not me envy and resentment corrode the soul.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Well, keeping with just anxiety and depression, is there an age at where it's highest or um, it just seems like the age at which I'm engaging um, both, adolescence and even pre-adolescence, that it seems like anxiety and depression, specifically among girls, actually seems to be higher. It seems to be happening
4: more and more.
3: Is that something that's based upon what getting,
4: you're seeing? Yeah, it's getting younger. And and again, we've got uh, pretty good numbers on this that uh, we're now seeing. Uh, uh, so it has always been the case, as far back as we have uh, do- documentation, that among prepubescent individuals, not much of a gender gap. As soon as puberty hits, girls uh, begin to see that rise in anxiety and depression among girls. And again, that's a fundamental difference in the effect of puberty. Uh, the older boys get, the more happy they describe themselves with their bodies. Uh, I mean, ages 12 and age 18. As girls we, the same age group. The 18-year-old young woman is much less happy with her body than the 12-year-old girl was. So puberty has very different effects on girls and boys. It tends to boost self-concept in boys, tends to undermine self-concept in girls. And the age of onset of puberty is getting younger and younger for girls. Throughout the 20th century, age of onset of puberty uh, got younger for both boys and girls from 1900 through about 1980. Since 1980, there has been no significant change in the age of onset for boys uh, for puberty, but it's continued to get younger and younger for girls. More than half of American girls now begin the process of puberty prior to their 10th birthday. And that, uh, I devote a chapter of my book that's on why that's happening and what you can do about it, and it's not good news. The earlier the onset of puberty, the greater the risk of anxiety and depression for that girl in adolescence.
0: This is so good. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs. In an effort to help you help the kids you know and love navigate their emerging sexuality to the glory of God, we've launched a sexual integrity initiative here at CPYU. Thanks to a generous grant from a company called DAS, you can access our sexual integrity initiative and a growing number of resources for free by visiting the website at sexualintegrityinitiative.com. This has been a, a great conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs about his book, Girls on the Edge. Uh, the book is published by Basic Books, and we highly recommend that if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a school teacher, if uh, you are a pastor, if you're a youth worker get this book and read it because what Dr. Sachs does is he is working through many of the factors today that are shaping our girls at younger and younger ages. I would say misshaping our girls as well at younger and younger ages, things that are putting our girls at risk. And we've talked a bit about the first factor, sexual identity and sexualization. The second factor we just finished chatting about a little bit, social media, which certainly we want folks to be aware of we talk about these things at our digital kids initiative here at CPYU and uh, parents these are these are matters that you have to be addressing uh, these things are not neutral in in any way shape or form and so we need to be very proactive in understanding not only what some of the pressures are in terms of this good gift of technology and how it's misused but how it misshapes our girls and and our sons as well and how to prevent that but I want to uh, shift here you have a a chapter Leonard on dreams dreams and obsessions can you talk about that a bit
4: yeah so I have visited uh, over 400 schools over the last nineteen years and very very often in the United States as you're uh, touring a school, you, you'll see posters uh, in the cafeteria, in the hallways that say things like, dream big, never quit. Uh, quitters never win and winners never quit. Uh, if you work hard enough, your dream will come true. The problem with uh, each of those statements is that they are false. They're not true statements. Um, if you work hard enough, your dream will come true. Uh well, it depends. Uh, if your dream is to play in the National Basketball Association and your adult height is five foot four, your dream is not going to come true, no matter how hard you work. You have to find the right dream. You have to find a dream that is suited to your talents. Uh, but there's no mention of that. If you work hard enough, your dream will come true, um, and that is not traditionally actually been part of American education. And again, we know this from scholars like Gene Twingy, who has, who've studied uh, what American kids were taught a generation ago and what they're taught today. And it's, it really is toxic uh, because if you work hard enough, your dream will come true. Well, the flip side of that is if your dream doesn't come true, you didn't work hard enough. It's your fault uh so we have girls whose dream is to be an Instagram celebrity and as i said a moment ago they put all this time and effort into their Instagram video and it fizzles no one has told them that you know what <laughs> we've got numbers on this uh there's about 2 million people posting Instagram videos for every one that goes viral uh so your odds of hitting the jackpot uh you'd be better off buying a lottery ticket honestly um uh, the odds are very low. No one has told them that. Uh, on the contrary, they are immersed in this drumbeat: if you work hard enough, your dream will come true. Which means it's your fault. If the, if the dream doesn't come true and you don't hit that jackpot of fame and wealth, it's your fault. Uh, you weren't good enough. You didn't try hard enough. And girls more than boys tend to internalize their failures. When boys fail, they're more likely to say, well, the coach didn't like me or it was rigged. It wasn't fair. When girls fail, fail, they're more likely to say, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. Uh, And as a result, that disappointment, that envy, that resentment turns inward and you have a very unhappy girl.
0: Can you, in the chapter you talk about anorexia of the soul, can you Comment on that. I, that that term really grabbed my attention.
4: Yeah. So uh, it's not my phrase. It's a phrase a mom used describing what she observed in her own daughter. So we know a lot about anorexia nervosa. How uh, some of these girls fall into this uh, cycle of thinking they're they're too fat, and even though they're not, and uh, they can gain mastery. By not eating anything, uh, they fall into this obsession where the only p- parameter of value is being slend- being really slender. And the more slender you are, the better you are. Uh, and so, uh, they, their whole world, their whole worldview, becomes focused on just one parameter. Only one thing matters, and that's whether or not I'm slender. And as this mom observed, this is happening in other domains, anorexia of the soul, where a girl develops an obsession, maybe with fitness, maybe with Instagram. Um, And all that matters is how she's doing on that one parameter. And I talk a lot in the book about, hey, it's great for girls to be athletic, to participate in a team sport that has many well-documented benefits but how do you tell if it's tipping over into an unhealthy obsession? Being fit is great, but becoming obsessed with fitness is unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Where's the line? This is a key question that parents must understand because it is unreasonable. Again, if you just read the New York Times or listen to NPR, they'll say, well, let kids decide. You know, good parenting means letting kids decide. Not always. In the case of a girl with anorexia, It would be bad parenting to say, well, I'm going to let my daughter decide when she's too skinny. I think uh, good parenting means letting her decide. No, she's fallen into this this obsession, anorexia, and a parent may have to intervene for her sake. And the same is true of these other obsessions. If a healthy interest and enthusiasm for being fit has turned into an unhealthy obsession with fitness where that's all that matters and everything else is sacrificed, then you, the parent, may need to intervene just as you would if your daughter was anorexic, anorexia of the soul. Uh, The failure to develop develop a healthy self-concept that's balanced and that has multiple uh, domains and multiple dimensions becoming instead focused on just one parameter to the exclusion of everything else, going for that dream. If you give up your dream, you die. A quote from Flashdance, which uh, really anticipated this whole uh, uh, give up your dream, you die uh, mentality. Uh, Parents need to understand what's going on. This was, you know, when Flashdance came out, you know, back in medieval times, it, it wasn't the uh, governing mentality in the schools, but now it is. And kids you've never heard of the movie will say things that sound an awful lot like, if you give up your dream, you die. That's not true. If you give up your dream and find a new dream, that's part of what it means to be a mature adult.
0: Yeah. Leonard, uh, I'll jump in with you there and say, uh, I saw that movie. Anyone else see it? Jason, you yeah. going to admit it? Yeah, you saw it? Okay, yeah, good. I, Yeah, I, I, Amy, I you saw yeah. it? Yeah. Theodore? yeah she's gone I have no clue what you're talking about right yeah (laughs) Yeah. medieval times I like that you talked there Leonard about intervention strategies or or getting parents to intervene what would you would you say a word to parents about prevention you know what are some recommendations you would make to parents of girls about prevention on on many of these things
4: Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, and I think this has really brought these issues front and center. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's two approaches that you can take as a parent. One is to say, hey, my daughter is cut off from a lot of her usual activities. I'm just going to let her go in her bedroom, close the door, and spend as many hours a day as she wants on social media. Okay, (laughs) wrong. That's clearly the wrong approach, and we know this. Another approach during the pandemic is to say, hey, My daughter's cut off from a lot of her friends. This is a great opportunity to strengthen family bonds. There is no governor who has said parents can't go for a hike with their kids. You can. Take advantage of this time to strengthen bonds between parent and child. Jean Twenge, the scholar on this topic who I respect more than any other, just published an article in the past week uh, sharing the results of her study of more than 1,500 teens across the United States Finding very clearly that kids who have strong bonds with parents, who spend their free time hanging with their parents, are flourishing. They're doing well. Kids who do not have strong bonds with their parents and are st- instead of spending their free time on social media, looking at what other teens are doing, are doing very poorly. So take advantage of this opportunity to turn off the screen and spend more time with your teen. Mm-hmm.
0: Good advice. Let's Good jump. Word. Let's jump to. Uh, did, did you have a question, Jason? Were you going to jump? Well, in I just.
3: With I, I think we've kind of hit upon some of them, but I. I would just turn the attention from parent to youth worker. What would you say uh, for a youth worker that's listening to this to come alongside? So a youth pastor that's hearing a lot of what you're sharing and how they can either come alongside the parents or come alongside the adolescent girl in the midst of uh, some of the many things that you're sharing.
4: I love it. And and indeed, I devote the final chapter of my book, Girls on the Edge, to answering that question. I've led many workshops for youth pastors over the years. I have a workshop called The Maiden King, uh, sharing again the research. We don't have to guess. We know what is most effective. What is most effective is to create strong bonds across generations, girls with women, boys with men. So your youth retreat should be girls with a community of women doesn't have to be their moms. Uh, it just needs to be women of different ages to give them a different perspective. And yet, unfortunately, many churches are not getting that message. Instead, they're, they're sponsoring pizza night with uh, ninth grade girls and boys together. That's not what they need. Uh, they need uh, to have strong bonds across generations. And that's that's the, the fundamental point that I'm sharing with youth pastors. And it's, it's not difficult for churches to do this because churches are a community that crosses generations. But again, they're in this culture, uh, which is segregated by age group. Uh, 14-year-olds don't listen to the same music that 30-year-olds do. 30-year-olds don't listen to the same music that 60-year-olds do break those bonds, Uh, break those limitations and restore the bonds, restore the bonds, Uh, find activities that girls can do with women, whether that's going on a canoe trip. Uh, And a canoe trip actually works pretty good with social distancing. Um, um, Or uh, uh, a knitting circle, which is one of my favorite activities. The same one who wants to fly the planes for the air force, loves to knit and crochet. Uh, And, and, uh, There's a a place called Around the Table Yarns in in Shaker Heights, Ohio, where her cousins live, and she loves to sit around the table with women of different age groups, uh, white, black, Asian. She just gets my daughter, my teenage daughter, gets a huge thrill out of that. Teens want to connect with (laughs) grown-ups, and that's as youth pastors create opportunities for girls to connect with women in structured activities. For boys to connect with men in structured activities, and uh, drop the activities where teenage girls and boys are hanging out together. That's not what they need from the church. They can do that on their own.
0: Yeah, you, you know what? I'm just going to affirm what you're saying there. And and you know, this has been something I've been chipping away at for so long because in the church, we've bought into this marketing, uh, you know, uh, sense of things, and we've separated, Focus. we've segregated the generations. And we think we're doing everyone a favor, and really, we are undermining – I love, you know, to talk about human flourishing. We're undermining human flourishing by breaking up the relationships that we've been made for, and that's what you're talking about here. I I love that. Um, The knitting thing – I don't know. I want to fly an airplane, but I'm not sure about whether I want to crochet or knit, but – That's all right. That's great. She's doing that. And by the way, that last chapter, that chapter you refer to, which is the last chapter in the book, is just simply titled Spirit. And I love how you, right at the beginning, you list a scripture verse, Mark 8.36, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Which really is a statement that was made that speaks to everything you've written in the book up till then and just a, a great way to, to, to reboot our understanding and recalibrate the way we think about things. Would you just mention, very quickly, because I know we're running out of time, that that last uh, chapter, not, not chapter seven, but the chapter on factors putting uh, girls at risk, specifically the environmental toxins. Because we do yeah. wonder, you know, you, something, by the way, something you said in there, and you alluded to this before, but even at the earlier, earliest age of puberty, That even in the medical community right now, for a girl to start to develop breasts at the age of seven is within the normal range. You know, that just shows how this has changed.
4: Well, and it is an abdication of responsibility by the medical community. So uh, over the last 30 years, uh, doctors have noticed, pediatric endocrinologists have noticed that Girls are beginning puberty at younger and younger ages, uh, and so the professional association of a pediatric endocrinologists in the United States devoted their conference to this. You know, what do we do? We got all these seven and eight-year-old girls in the office who have to wear a bra because they are developing adult breasts, and and and. Uh, what should our response be? I mean, they could have made many good responses. They could have called for more research to understand why this is happening. What are the toxins in the environment driving this unhealthy development? Um, uh, But they didn't. Instead, they just moved the goalpost. They said, okay, we're just going to change the definition. Onset of puberty at age seven is no longer abnormal. Where it's now normal. So uh, we're just now going to reassure their parents. There's nothing wrong. Uh, your girl has breasts at seven and menstruating at nine. We're going to consider that within the normal range. And that, as I said, was an abdication of responsibility by pediatricians who should have known better. Mm. But the good news is it's you can fix it. <laughs> you don't have to um, move to the jungle. Uh, the, the measures are very simple. The, the researchers have uh, told us where these things are coming from, where these toxins are coming from. Uh, and, and many parents just don't know. Uh, so you give your daughter a plastic bottle with bottled water. You think, Oh, very healthy bottled water. No, unfortunately not. Uh, that bottle is made of polyethylene terephthalate. Uh, we now know that polyethylene terephthalate leaches antimony and diathexyl, uh, phthalate into the water. Those substances act like female hormones. Uh, so you're giving your daughter bottled water, um, uh, in a clear plastic bottle, you're giving her female hormones at six, seven, eight, nine years of age. You're driving this onset, uh, early onset puberty. Uh, what happens when you give boys substances that act like female hormones? Well, you screw a lot of things up and you lower male hormone levels. Uh, and indeed, the male hormone levels of an 18-year-old uh, young man today are about half what they were 60 years ago. Um uh, And that has a problem because boys rely on testosterone for drive and motivation, girls do not. Uh, So these environmental toxins have very different effects in girls than they have in boys. In girls, they drive the earlier onset of puberty, which in turn contributes to the rise in anxiety and depression. In boys, the same chemicals undermine testosterone levels, lower testosterone levels, lower motivation. So we end up with anxious girls and Lazy boys, which is what we're seeing in the United States right now.
3: Wow. (laughs) There's so many more questions that we could be asking, but we're going to have to come to a close on this episode. Uh, Just as a reminder, anything that has been mentioned in this episode that uh, Leonard might have brought up, that we might have brought up, we will include in episode notes and on the website where you find this episode. So make sure you uh, go to those notes, get those links, because there is a wealth of knowledge. And we're so incredibly grateful, uh, Leonard, for you joining us today to share from your new book, Girls on the Edge. We will make sure we also have a link directly to that book so that that way you can go and purchase it, which we highly recommend. Uh, not only this book, but many of uh, Dr. Sachs's other books, because they are a wealth of knowledge. They are so helpful, and I just know that in our own ministry, uh, we have been grateful for them. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, Dr. Flavin, thank you for being with us. Uh, Chris, as always, thanks for the work that you do, and and Walt, always fun to partner with you. Uh, until our next episode, we wish you health, and we will see you or have you uh, be with us again here soon. Thanks for listening to Youth Culture Matters.
1: Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.